1: Welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who has the best Valentine's Day avoidance excuse ever. Baby. I gotta go to spring training. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing?
2: <laughs> doing all right, Kieran. Uh, we, we still do an early Valentine's Day around here. Uh, we've had some nice weather lately, too. They call it Fool's spring in Michigan, so... I'm sure some terrible weather will hit right as I'm heading into <laughs> Lakeland.
1: Does it change every uh, 15 minutes? or? Well,
2: you know that Michigan <laughs> weather and that Texas weather and that Florida weather. We've talked about this on the pod before. Every state thinks they have the most unpredictable weather. Yeah. I, Something that annoys yes.
1: me. Uh, and to tie a bow on that, when my wife and I went on our honeymoon, it was in Hawaii, Maui. It was raining. Go to the hotel bar. Ask us where we're from, blah, blah, blah. It's like, sorry about the rain, but you know what they say about Hawaii weather? Like, you know, just wait a little bit and it'll change. And I was like, oh, my God. People need to understand what climate is. Okay, anyway, it is spring training time, Cody. uh, Like, you will be going to Lakeland on what, Wednesday? Is that – that's right, Wednesday? Uh, Monday, Monday, Monday. Monday. when so, this,
2: when this pod, I don't know if we're dropping this on Sunday or Monday, but, but chances are, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'll be down in late. Yeah.
1: So yeah, we'll put this out on Monday. We're recording this on Saturday because look it's Super Bowl Sunday, I got a big party to host. Like, you know, uh, wanted to get this done and be able to have fun the rest of the weekend going into spring training. So, uh, speaking of which earlier, speaking of Monday on Monday, you put out, you teased it last week, your early roster prediction. And I have a hunch, because I know you, that you are you probably, you know, hit send, hit publish or whatever, and you're like, ah, you know, what about, eh? did you do any waff have you done any waffling since of, about your roster projection, which if you're an Athletic subscriber, you can read. Really
2: only one spot. For some reason, there's been some recent pushback on the idea of Justin Henry Malloy making the opening day roster. And I think in the day or two after I published the projection, I had talked myself out of Malloy on the opening day roster. I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, he really doesn't have a position. I could totally see A.J. Hinge and Scott Harris talking about defensive options and wanting to take a guy like Ryan Kreidler up north. They're going to want to get Javi Baez off his feet some. You have another good defensive shortstop. It would make a lot of sense. And I was about to say that on the pod. And then I thought about it some more. And I was like, you're telling me you ranked 28th and runs scored. You had a guy who offensively was ready for the major leagues last year. You didn't bring him up, and you're still not gonna bring him up? I think that would be the wrong call. Uh you have this DH spot open. I know you're gonna want to rotate it around, but all you do is you talk up Justin Henry Malloy and how great his strike zone is and how great of a hitter he is. And the one thing this team needs is hitting. I think, I mean, there's some camp battles that we'll have to play out and all, but I think Malloy should be considered the favorite. For some reason, there's kind of been some pushback that maybe he's not the favorite. Um, I think he should be, you know, pending a disastrous spring. I, I think you got to take this guy North. I think you got to take some bats North and that's nothing against Ryan Kreidler who who does bring a lot to your team, but if I'm choosing between the two of them, I'm choosing Justin Henry Malloy. And that leads me to a greater point. There, There's a little bit of a battle there, I think, for that last bench spot. Um, I would have had Nick Maton in that conversation, but stunner, Nick Maton, gone. He's a Baltimore Oriole now. We can touch on that more in a second. Uh, th- th- there's also this conversation, Scott Harris has said it multiple times, there's going to be so much competition in camp. I'm like, is there? Pending injuries. You know, the bullpen, there there are a lot of guys that could make the bullpen. All right, so we're going to keep that one. Every team has competition toward the, uh, you know, the final couple spots on its bullpen. Otherwise, I actually think this roster is maybe more cut and dry than it normally is. All these guys do is talk up Andy Ibanez. You think they're not going to put Andy Ibanez on this roster? You know, uh, your starters seem Matt Vierling's going to be on this roster. Zach McKinstry, he doesn't have an option. He's a left-handed bat. I think he could have a terrible spring, and they're still going to want to keep him. So, pending some injuries that really turn camp on its head, I think there's only one bench spot and a couple bullpen spots that are up for grabs.
1: Yeah, bullpens—it's all—it's—it's—it's its, all, it's, it's, it's own little animal, right? But when it, when you it when you think, okay, well, there's this many, you know, 25 guys, 26 guys on on a active roster, and then but then you start breaking it down, and you're like, actually, there's not really that many spots up for grabs among batters, right? So, like, it, it, this roster seems to me set up to have, you know, we talk about competition, that's all well and good. And there's going to be a lot of competition for who plays, per se. But I think, in terms of, like, who's going to actually, like, go to Chicago, I think it was kind of designed for getting more comfortable early as opposed to evaluating, like, the entire time, if that makes sense. Uh, because there's more is it known commodities is kind of like the right way to phrase it there's like a little bit more institutional knowledge with a lot of these guys especially in the second year of a of a president of baseball ops you know in terms of his footprint and what he wants and and him and aj being aligned and all that stuff it's it just kind of seems to me that they're they're not going in blind here they have a pretty good idea and you kind of leave yourself a little bit of wiggle room and in terms of Jay Hen. I agree with you. Where like I respect what Kryler does bring to the table, but do you think that's gonna help you win more games than having Jay Henn's bat Is really what it comes down to. And as of now, I I do kind of feel like Jay Hens deserves the opportunity because of his hitting profile, and that's I'm sure we'll see Kryler up at some point. That's another thing too when we talk about these guys. Badu kind of falls into this category. It's like. We talk about these guys and you know who's going to break with the team and you know you're going to see them. You're going to see plenty of Badoo. You're going to see Kreidler, I'm sure, uh, because he'll maybe he'll find his way into some third base mix. You know, what I mean, it's certainly possible. And what happens with Colt? Ke- like, you're going to see these guys. So, to me, they form the roster in a way that they like, and I just don't know what the point of having Jayhan Han and Toledo is. I just, like, I just, like, you could argue he was there too long last year, right? So, like, what's the point of having him here? And, and listeners will know that I'm a big believer in rewarding players when they've earned opportunities. And and we've we've seen Kreidler. I'm sure he will earn another opportunity. But Jay Hen for sure, has earned an opportunity to be a major league player. And especially with the DH spot open. And you have no idea. And, look. Not say to be pretty, but technically he has professional baseball experience in the infield and the outfield. So if you really needed to put him somewhere, you could figure it out. You know? So like I I tend to agree. But I think I do think it's interesting that, that people are kind of pointing out because I don't think we're talking about Jay Hen. Really if I were to look back at this offseason, I would have thought, you know what, on this podcast, I thought we would have talked about him a little bit more. I don't know why that it was. Yeah. Maybe.
2: Yeah, the, the the hype has almost kind of died down around him for some reason, and I don't I don't know why. I mean, maybe that's... I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the defense. I, I guess I'm glad people are uh, being realistic because his defense is not very good. All right, it's pretty bad. Um, But the strike zone judgment is real, and I think that tends to translate to the major league level better than most skills. There are a lot of guys... That can rake in AAA, but can't rake in the majors. But if you can judge a ball from a strike, that's going to bode well you know, in your favor once you get to the major leagues. And that, that can help uh, ease your adjustment at the plate, in my opinion. So, I, I mean, the guy was in AAA all last year, and he raked all last year. That's what it comes down to. He has proven more than any other fringe player in this system. He has earned it at the plate more than any other player in this system. The defense thing, you got the DH spot open. All right, you want to stick him in left or right field a couple times, that's fine. DH spot's open for a guy like Justin Henry Malloy to come make your lineup better, or at least see if he can make your lineup better. He is a rookie. Not saying he's going to hit 30 homers out of the gate, but this guy has some offensive upside, and what your team needs is bats. It's time to score some runs. If you want to make the playoffs, you got to score runs. I think Justin Henry Malloy has it all a decent camp. It's got to be in your lineup.
1: Yeah, and look, uh, we, we've we talked about it on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen, I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. I think a tally of the DH spot would be fascinating here of the first, I don't know, month, two months of the season to see how, how it's used because...
2: Over, under, <laughs> one of the guys who... who it's, uh, whatever it's it is,
1: high. I'm taking the over. I can just tell you that right now <laughs> because you basically have two ready-made DHs like one of which is going to be in your out, you know, and and one of your corners, right? In Canna or Carpenter. And uh, speaking of Carpenter, that's another thing too. Like how they handle or how he prepares this year, I think will be another kind of underrated storyline of the season because he's a guy that's getting banked on. He's no longer cu- cute story, and he's no longer hey, this guy's good. Now he's being now he's a guy that you're relying on. So that's the next evolution of Carey Carpenter, the player. He's also still young, obviously, and I think a lot of people are sliding him in to more or less play every day, but not necessarily every day in the field, so how is a young player who I would wager has never regularly DH'd in his life going to handle that, and I don't mean like the like the ego part of it wanting to be on the field. I mean like the actual preparation, because it changes, like... A lot of guys don't like being DH. I mean, we talked about this with Miggy. If Miggy had his way, he would have been in the field his entire career because it is different, like, actually being on the field every inning as opposed to on the bench. You know, like, it's a different way to go about your business. So I think how Kerry Carpenter handles that is going to be very interesting because he was on, I believe it was Tiger's Talk, and he wants to be, as he should, an everyday player. And I know A.J. Hinch for the past couple years has emphasized – he needs to be preparing to be an everyday player because you don't really want to like groom DHs. That kind of defeats the purpose of player value, right? So I think that's another interesting storyline to to follow, and another one that I'm actually let me phrase it like this: I am so curious to see how this starting rotation shapes out because we talked we we talked for the past couple years about the famous Joe Torrey quote where it's like I'm not going to have to make a decision somebody's going to get hurt and you know the rotation will kind of fit you know fill out itself and obviously you hope that's not the case but arm injuries happen we saw it last year it wasn't an arm injury but we saw it last year with Michael Lorenzen right the tigers have put themselves in a situation that barring something weird decisions are going to have to be made cuz you more or less have 7 starting pitchers that you either feel really good about or, all right, you know, all right. And that goes from Scooble and and, and Gibson Long, I think, is sort of like the end of that rotation. You got Manning, you got Mize, you got uh, Maedo Flaherty that you brought in, um, and Reese Olsen. So, like, you have guys there, and people that I would consider in the know are talking about how this is not going to be a six-man rotation. So it's gonna, so it's So now you're cutting off two. And then when, again, people in the know talk about how much promise Reese Olsen showed last year, it's like, well, he can't just throw him in the bullpen. Like, he's too valuable. And then it's like, well, somebody's going to have to go in the bullpen. And it would be weird to me to have really any of them in the bullpen. I wouldn't say all of them, but five-sevenths of them, maybe six. It would be weird to me to see them as bullpen guys. So, like, you, your starting rotation. You mm-hmm. did six. You had Scoble, Maeda, Mize, Olsen, Manny, Flaherty. Uh, I just am very curious to see how the Tigers are going to handle this because again, two of those are free agent additions that you either paid a pretty penny or you gave them two years. So, and one coming off Tommy. Like, I am fascinated to see how this plays out and how they handle it.
2: Kieran, have you ever watched AJ Hinch manage a series of baseball? Time or two. You think it's going to be conventional? <laughs> it's not. It's not. I got your answer. I, I've, I've got your answer for you. That's how you're, They're not going to start the year with a six-man rotation. The main reason, it's not about being opposed to that. It's there are too many off days. So then you're really giving guys seven, eight days off. It's, it's too much rest. So they're not going to do that. The chances of all six, I think Gibson Long is most likely to start in Toledo. He did good things last year, but there's still some refining. I don't fully consider him in this conversation. The chances all six guys get out of camp healthy is really slim, but let's say they do. The answer is going to be piggyback starts. You're going to see, I don't know if this is exactly what it will be, but some something like Matt Manning and Reese Olsen will pitch, you know, three innings at a time on the same day. Or maybe like a Mize. they're probably going to have this thing about like, I'm sure the word ramp will be used at some point, you know, we're going to... Ramp him up to a full workload, so maybe it's like Mize and Olsen piggyback off each other. Um, I think you're gonna see basically six guys in a five man rotation. We've watched AJ Hinch do this before, uh, b- both early in the season and late in the season. Think 2021 when he was kind of tapering the workloads of Mize and Scoobal, uh, they both still got injured. Um, I-, I-, I think that is how they will navigate this until. Um, either someone pitches themselves out of the conversation or there's an injury and then suddenly, all right, we got a, 5 five rotation again.
1: That's another thing too, how they handle the, the innings aspect of this throughout the year will be interesting because the guys that you would like to have a live innings the past couple of years have gotten hurt. So it's, you know, it's one of those, it, the ultimate example of the inexact science as it is the managing arms, right? Uh, and, you know, let, let's focus on Mize for a second, because are, are we at the point now where we have to reevaluate expectations? I talk about this a lot for a lot of guys, and I don't know. That's not This is not me leading you on here, Cody. I don't know how to view Casey Mize because, what is it, 39 starts, right? 39 career starts, yeah. and, you know, endings count's not that high. I think there's a world where he could have come back last year and, and uh, people need to remember, it wasn't like Tommy John in the traditional sense of what we think of Tommy John. It was more or less like a loose tendon as opposed to, to correct me if I'm wrong here, like a stretched out loose tendon as a, as, a, as opposed to a pulled one. He had that amazing bolt. It wasn't torn.
2: Yeah. It was just so stretched that it wasn't fully functional. Right. Because you see it.
1: So everyone. But he had a back surgery too.
2: Let's not forget that. I think the back procedure is the bigger deal. We don't know a lot about it which makes me think it's serious. He doesn't really want to talk about it.
1: Very good point as well. And this guy, like I said, he was 1-1. He had the double-A no-hitter in his debut. a Double-A debut, not debut, period. And he's kind of a guy without a place. Like, he's a starting rotation guy, but place-wise, kind of without a place right now. And, you know, you talked about the ramping up part of it. It's like, he ought to be as fresh as anybody. He ought to be pretty dang fresh. And I don't know how to feel about that uh, photo that was circling around where he looked like he was uh, throwing off a semi-mound. I don't know what the, what exactly to call it and, you know, the metrics. Like
2: the four seasons <laughs> where they had the Rudy Giuliani press conference. Yeah. That's what it looked like, and that's where it was. Yeah, it
1: was uh, it wasn't, I'm sure it didn't make Federer, like, excited to see that throwing service. Let's just uh, put it like that. And, you know, and I'm not going to try to recall all the numbers, but they weren't like, oh, look at that, you know. Uh, so, like, the My situation is very interesting, and you wrote about it um, on one of your early storyline stories that's published on The Athletic. So, the Mize situation, what's kind of your assessment leading in, and, and, and what do you think is most likely to happen for him?
2: Well, I, I've said, I think he's the single guy I'm most interested to watch because I don't know where to set expectations. There's a part of me that doesn't think they necessarily need to be reset. There's a part of me that thinks he could come out have two great starts and suddenly expectations are high as ever. This guy was 1-1 for a reason. Uh, my first question when I see Casey Mines this spring is going to be pretty simple. When's the last time you pitched a baseball game fully healthy? This it seems like he's, I don't recall his exact quote, but he indicated this back issue that he had repaired surgically had been bothering him for a long time, as in possibly years. This guy might not have been fully healthy since Auburn. So how good can he be if he is now fully healthy? Is he going to be basically a different pitcher? Could his fastball command be there? A repaired UCL? Did the the UCL damage have something to do with why he couldn't throw his splitter quite like he could coming out of the draft? There are a lot of unanswered questions there uh, that that will only be answered on the field. I think it could be a really good thing that this guy is back and healthy. Um, So I'm not quite writing off Casey Mize or even lowering the, the potential ceiling for Casey Mize until we see him pitch a little bit. I guess the most likely scenario is probably like, okay, he he's solid. That was probably always the most likely scenario. Actually, even out of the draft, he wasn't necessarily pegged as like this guy's an ace, he's a Hall of Famer, but it was just he had the highest he had a really high floor. So look at what he did in 2021. I think he had like a 3.71 ERA through 150 innings. I mean, that's probably that's probably, you know, a good uh indicator of what you you hope Casey Mize can be this year. And if he does that, you feel pretty good.
1: Um also still waiting for the the annual Matt Manning story. You know. Oh boy. <laughs> what could he be? Will this be the time he figures it out? Uh <laughs> Another guy like a you know, rinse and repeat. Very curious to see how he looks and uh, and how his demeanor is and and I'll tell you what. We can expand it past pitching for a second. I'm very curious to see who kind of steps up in the leadership role of this team because
2: no, there's a spring training word right yeah. there leadership yep.
1: because there's been a lot of talk about culture this offseason and an extension of culture or the driving force beyond culture behind culture is leadership right and now you have no scope who you know his abilities diminishing did not change the fact guys really looked up to him and liked him uh and I think Akil Badu was out watching him in the uh, Caribbean World Series or something like that recently. Like, guys guys love him. Miggy was a guy that, he's a legend, so you look to him. So even if he wasn't a conventional leader, like, he was definitely somebody that guys looked up to, right? And Matthew Boyd just had the personality of, of, a, of, of, of a leader of his staff and, like, all these guys. No longer with the team. And if we're going to talk about Production wise, the scope or excuse me, the Torques, the Greens, the Carpenters, the Scoobles, you need them in order to succeed this year, reach the postseason. You're also gonna need the intangible stuff too. Cause it's a long season. It's a lot of days in the clubhouse, a lot of time together. So I'm I am i am curious who's gonna like fill that void. And we talked last year about how among the young guys, like Ryan Kreidler was kinda like the you know, the the natural, like, leader of the group, and, and that's all well and good, and I do value that, but for this team to take off in any fashion, you can't have Ryan Kreidler be the guy that is sort of, like, the emotional measuring stick of the team. It has to be somebody else, right, and we know it's not going to come from bias, you know, with all due respect, it's not no, his thing. It's not. So, do you have, do- who is Cable? You're there, you know, I know it's been a while, but you're there in the clubhouse, you know, almost every day. You, like, you see these guys interact. Who is the guy that you could, that we can look to, to, like, see if they kind of take take on that role, the void that is filled with this team?
2: Well, then, let me tell you a story, Kieran. It was it was two years ago. Kind of a long time in, in Tiger's world. And a, a knowledgeable... Tigers person pointed at Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, and this person said, when it's their team, things are going to be a lot better. And having been around all these guys, I believe that. I'm actually not worried about culture at all. You, you lack a little bit of that veteran presence, traditional veteran presence, sure. You, you got some dudes who bring a really good vibe in a Riley Green, in a Spencer Torkelson. Some really professional guys in Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize. You know, the addition of Mark Canna, I think, is going to help. He's, he's a little bit more of that senior member. It, it was somewhat problematic the past few years in that some of the guys that were looked to, to be the leaders weren't among your more productive players. Jonathan Scope, Miguel Cabrera. Um, you know, I think Matthew Boyd was a good presence, but um, kind of a similar situation. Like, he was hurt. Um I don't necessarily think the mood was ever like toxic. Maybe in 2021, it probably got toxic. You had Eduardo Rodriguez, who was one of your more toxic players, seemed to get a little better at interacting with his teammates, but he was never.
1: It's not him. He was never you, that. You, you got to be that, that kind of guy. Together.
2: He's like, he's like Baez. Like, people think Baez is like this, like, awful presence. He's really not. He just keeps to himself. Javier just kind of does Javier. Like, um, so I think you have more outgoing, more connective, more fun, upbeat personalities with these young guys. Kreidler is the guy they call captain, all right? He is more that traditional captain. But even if he's not on the roster, uh, I, I, I think you have a mix of personalities that's going to play really well. We saw it a good bit um, at the tail end of last year. Now all these guys have a little more experience, should be a little more confident in themselves. I do think you need Riley Green and Spencer Twerkelson to kind of take that next step, really take ownership of this team. But I think that's natural for guys like that. And that's why, although it's young, I'm, I, I'm not concerned about the culture this year.
1: I should also mention among the guys that are no longer here, that kind of like became somewhat voices of the team. Uh, Eric Haas was, was that kind of person too. Um, yeah. Cause, I, Cause we
2: didn't even mention Jake Rogers. Yeah. I mean, Jake, Jake Rogers is your guy. You know, he's he's a little bit of a goofball, but Jake's a leader in his own way for sure. Yeah, and
1: and and to me like I like who's going to be the guy that's going to have the scrum of like the the 10, beat riders and, and 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 TV people and it's like you just lost 12 to 1. Like who who's going to step up and, and kind of eat it for everybody else? Like I, to me that's important. And and I and I and I and I do believe that. So so, yeah, I mean, it's it's all fun and good to be a young team. But there it still has to be. And I didn't mention Canna because I do believe, like, yeah, that will be a natural flow. But I'm looking for, like, the core guys, which one of those will kind of step up. Because I do think Canna's Kana presence there will be important. All right, Cody. Well, it is time for one of our favorite traditions here at Turn the Corner to check in with our boy, Keith Law. And I just want to preface this by saying this is no animosity. I love it. I love it. I, I just I just love reading what Keith Law has to say about the Tigers. And I was listening to Tigers talk, and Dan Diggerson is doing the same little bit that we're about to do, alright? So we're not out of turn here, and I'm certainly not going to criticize a, a colleague of yours, Cody, but I am just going to laugh. I think I'm free to do that. I'm just going to laugh at... The way Keith Law talks about the Tigers, so he has them, and you can read this on the in the athletic. He has them number six farm system in all of baseball. It's a far cry from where they were last year. Everybody's bumping them up, right? Oh man, Keith Law's got them number six. Let's see what like, let's see what great things he has to say about the Tigers. This is gonna be so good, you know. First sentence, quote. No, really. The Tiger system is good, even with, frankly, a lot of misses still running around the system.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing.
1: I love you, Keith. (laughs) I love you, Keith. I I, I absolutely adore you. It's so good. He hits every time. Uh, And then he starts, you know, he talks about some guys that could be regulars, could be back-end stars, you know, that kind of thing. And... uh, He did have a phrase in here that I thought was kind of funny, so I'm going to point it out. He's talking about the development of Parker Meadows and, uh, and Cole Keith, two guys that, should things go well this year, you can expect some good contributions from them. And he called them unfinished products when they were drafted. And to me, I was like, well, yeah, they were prep players. Like, first of all, Pretty much everybody's an unfinished product. Like it's baseball. Like no like we're not really having guys go straight from high school, straight to from college to uh to the majors. Like it doesn't really happen anymore. I know it used to, it doesn't happen anymore. So everybody's an unfinished product. High school players especially are unfinished products. So I thought that was kind of like a weird phraseology. Uh and he and then he kind got- phraseology
2: is a weird phraseology. Wow. I like yeah. that. Phraseology. Word
1: of the day uh and and then he basically wraps it up by saying you know it's it's been some time since the tigers had a success story like that and he's specifically talking about parker medals which is fair which is fair uh so shout out keith law always always entertaining you always deliver um he still does have marcella meyer quite a bit ahead of jackson job in his rankings i can't remember the exact number but i think like job was like 26 ish 29 and uh Meyer was still number eight I think eight or nine which is objectively that that's honestly given how their profiles have played out to this point that's you hanging on to your draft evaluation more than anything else in my opinion you don't have to agree with me I'm not trying to get you to talk about your colleague there but that's in my opinion that's that's what that looks like because there's not really the body of work doesn't reflect that much of a difference between guys that are drafted back-to-back years that's just my opinion uh, but regardless, the Tigers continue to get some more love. We talked about it before in the farm system. And there are guys in here that I don't think are household names, Cody, like a Brant Hunter, you know, and Brant Herder, Herder, excuse yeah. me, yeah, Herder. And then there's some other guys that are getting a little hyped, a little hyped, Justice Big a lot of people like him. Eddie's Leonard. Uh, I mispronounced it. Damn it. I knew I was going to get it wrong. Uh, Eddie's uh, Leonard. How do you say it? Leonard. Oh, yeah. I think you got it right. I I think you got it. Sorry. There's some some highly uh, drafted guys that we still don't really have much evidence for or things haven't broken their way. Peyton Graham, Max Anderson. Like, there's... A lot of intriguing names on uh, on this list, Cody, and I think some of them. And this leads me to my uh, my next topic. I think some of them are candidates for camp darling of the year. Now we can backtrack a little bit. It's not necessarily the greatest thing on the planet to be the camp darling. Now Akil Badu is still around, but that was more to do with like the the rule five like aspect and the fact he hadn't played up above a certain level like that. Now. That that the situation kind of made him a darling as much as anything. But Willie Castro, once upon a time, had us believing in things that just were never gonna happen. And the recently departed Nick Maton was a uh what was a camp darling. Well, real quick on Nick, what was your reaction to to more or less trading his services for uh cash considerations? What was your reaction to that?
2: I was actually stunned. You know, he, he was DFA'd and then um, rather than, than claimed that the Orioles wanted, so, wanted him so bad they traded for him. Uh, but I was, like, I was shocked. Um, almost in a good way because I think it shows, we know Scott Harris enjoys flexibility, but it showed more of, like, a mental flexibility. He wasn't hanging on to his dudes. He's already DFA'd both Donnie Sands and Nick, Nick Maton. Donnie Stan, Sands remains in the system. But two of the three players he got in the Gregory Soto trade, uh, he's removed from the 40-man roster, Maton now out of the organization. And we have seen some flashes from Maton. We know there's a ball player in there somewhere. We know there's some upside in there somewhere. There was just a lot of bad. And organizations, not just the Tigers, can tend to be overly loyal to players like that, guys they drafted or guys they traded for, and you see some upside. And you just keep banging the table, trying to pull it out of him, and you end up wasting several hundred at bats in the big leagues on a guy who's never going to pan out for you. So I, I almost liked the open mindedness that the Tigers said, "Hey, this guy ain't it." But I was, I was like, I, I almost didn't think it was like played up on social media as a big enough deal. Like th- there were a couple other guys they could have taken off that roster. Like I thought Maton was going to come into camp and. right alongside Ryan Kreidler and contend for a job. And I was wrong. And mostly just because I thought there would be an allegiance to him from Scott Harris. So I think it's, it's it's a good thing that this happened, uh, but that doesn't make it less surprising.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was our first example of seeing Scott Harris, like, you know, the HKG from last year, the Harris kind of guy, you know, Mm -hmm. that was the first example of him, Moving on and really just over a year's time, like not, I mean, obviously his opportunities he had, but in terms of just regular calendar time, not a lot of time given to Nick Maton and his situation was one of those where no one was going to be upset about him competing for a job or providing organizational depth or, you know, being an injury call up or, you know, whatever role he was, what seemingly he was destined for. That wasn't going to offend anybody. Like uh, there, there was, there was no conversations about having to get this guy out of here, you know, or whatever. And you throw in positional flexibility, you throw in the fact that he's a left-handed bat, like with some pop, like there's an argument to be made, you, you moved on from him too quickly. Like, you know, it exists. Oh, a small one.
2: I, I, there is like the, the analytics heavy Orioles picking him up does concern me a little bit. Like, Oh, what did they see? I I believe he was out of options, which is probably a reason that that this happened. It, you know, might have happened at the end of camp anyway if he didn't make the team, and he might end up getting DFA'd in Baltimore. Who knows? Um,
1: but there's no way Al Alavila. So yeah, man, I I don't know. Maybe in
2: six months we're like Scott Dares. Why would you give up on Nick Maton so early? You know that that <laughs>
1: Alavila doesn't do this move. I mean, I mean, we we've, we've been, I, been giving Al a lot of credit the past exactly. couple of weeks and deservingly so based on some of the. Uh, the projection of players and progression of players that were acquired under his tenure. But he doesn't make this move. And again, I'm not, I'm not here to say it was the right or wrong move, but it was something. And it had to be a voice of confidence for somebody as well. Like in, in the organization, uh, the, it, it it was still a guy with some tools that you opted to drop. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's just the bottom line. And I thought, is there any other surprises around the corner? Like, is there... I'm not saying I'm predicting this. But if I'm planning out different scenarios, is there a world where, like, Badu gets traded for, you know, some low-level prospect? Or we talked about Matt Manning. Is that a possibility? I'm not predicting this. I certainly don't want it, especially for Badu, my wife's favorite player. Especially now that Maton's gone. Uh, But like these things can happen. And I do think there is a world where it happens. Are 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 there any, are, the, are there any guys that are kind of on, I don't want to say expendable, but sort of like ex- expendable adjacent in terms of just like the body count at certain positions or.
2: I mean, I, I think the, the two names you mentioned fit the definition of expendable, but I don't necessarily think that means they will get traded. I think that was a, a source of speculation all off season I think the fact that Akil Badu and Matt Manning have not been traded yet tells me it's probably unlikely. And I think this also goes back to you tend to overvalue your own guys. Organizations do it. uh, Fans do it even more than organizations. I think one reason these guys haven't been moved is how much you're really going to get in return. Akil Badu, you know, good base runner, like still young, still some upside. He has some value. But what are are you getting back a player that you like more than Akil Badu?
1: No, I don't think so.
2: I think that's probably unlikely. And so he has an option. Akil Badu, although I know I know Akil, I know he wants to be in the big leagues. It's probably most likely to start the year in AAA. And then as soon as one of your outfielders pulls a hamstring, which will happen because this is baseball, you're suddenly gonna be like, oh, it's, it's a good thing we didn't trade Badu. you know, you have a guy coming up you're familiar with. Maybe he's not the world's greatest player, but he he can do some good things for you. Um, and same with Matt Manning, like we still talk about. Oh, does Manning have this upside? Like I I don't know, he might. Um, but if if you take Matt Manning to I think especially an analytically heavy team, they're gonna be like, well, we don't freaking want this guy. He doesn't strike anybody out. He his he got lucky babip wise last year. Yeah, he's got to really intriguing fastball and and great extension and some deception but still doesn't hasn't really harnessed a second pitch are you getting a player back for matt manning that you feel better about than matt manning like i i think it's unlikely and so i think you'd rather take the depth and uh so i i'd be surprised if either of those guys get moved at this point
1: yeah I would and i'm certainly guilty of being one of those like I think I have realistic expectations of Akil Badu, but as I said before, I still love watching him play. And there are tools that are valuable to a team that he has. Uh, And and so, like, I certainly do not want him off the team. And, you know, Matt Manning's one We talked about it earlier. Like, maybe he's a guy that kind of gets squeezed out and, I mean, does he have to find a a new role on the team? That's also a, a possibility. I think we've... We both over the years kind of speculated, like maybe that's his his best, like you know, asset. Like it it could happen, and I'm I don't you don't want to put caps on these guys or that kind of expectation on these guys, but you know, literally every single reliever has gone through this, you know, like the whole failed starter thing from Schaefer. So that's uh that's that's certainly in the works, and one of the things that makes spring training so exciting and interesting. Uh, I I did want to shout out Cody the. TMLR podcast, the Tigers Minor League Report podcast. Those guys very friendly to us. Good people over there. Great, great yep. people, uh, and they do such important work. If you're a Tigers fan and trying to assess the, you know, the overall organization's health and and all these things, and and they're legit. They're they're so good. They're so good and so legit that they had Ryan Garco on their podcast. I think it was it was December or January, they all runs together, but it was, you know, midpoint of the offseason. And I'm telling you, man, like Garco's Garco's good on this and he's saying the company lines, but he got asked a question that's kind of like and 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 I, I don't mean this as a criticism at of, of, of the guys, but it's like an unfair question like on purpose, right? is to get that sort of reaction <laughs> where it's like, who's going to be the next Carey Carpenter? You know, that's, and yeah. and, and and you kind of put, they put Garko on the spot, like, in a good way, because you just want to get, like, an honest, authentic reaction, right? It was a great job. I'm telling you, this guy, multiple times, was shouting out Peyton Graham. Peyton Graham, oh. shortstop, Oklahoma, second-round pick a couple years ago, actually from Texas, and then, you know, went to College of Oklahoma, Tools. This is a close to an exact quote. His tools are some of the best in the system from Ryan Garco. That, that, that's it's pretty high praise. It's pretty high praise, Cody. Interesting. And Interesting. and I'll be honest, like I because of like the tie to Oklahoma and the fact that he was like a higher pick, like he's on my radar. He's not on my radar like that. So the I I think right. that's worth noting that. A high and the guy who oversees the development of all these guys made note of Peyton Graham multiple times on this podcast as a guy to look out for. I think that's interesting, Cody, and I don't know if I expected that.
2: I definitely didn't expect it. At the same time, not surprised. Um, I'm more familiar with Peyton Graham than probably the average you know, kind of middling prospect uh, because he, he played at Oklahoma in another life. I, I covered the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, more football and basketball, but a little bit of baseball as well. Um, definitely watched uh, him play on TV a time or two, you know, when they were making a run, I think, in the College World Series. Um, and, and you know, you'd listen to what his coach at OU, Skip Johnson, said about him. You'd look at his performance. A lot of things to like about Peyton Graham. all right? Definitely that, that dirtbag-type player And he had a huge jump in his final year at OU. He hit 20 homers. He hit 335. You could see some of those tools. He was regarded as a good defender. So when the Tigers selected him, I liked the pick a lot. Now, I was kind of surprised to hear Garco praising him just because you look at what he's actually done so far in the system, and it's nothing really to write home about. He's 22. He still hasn't advanced above uh, Class A Lakeland. He hit 232 last year. 339 OBP, pretty good. But he only hit four homers. He didn't really get to the power. Um, Actually only played in 54 games. So, you know, the Tigers have clearly seen something in him that hasn't quite translated in terms of performance yet. Uh, But just being familiar with Peyton Graham and his background, uh, I've always found him to be a highly intriguing player. Pretty high upside. Uh, so the fact that Ryan Garko still sees that, despite somewhat of a slow start to Graham's pro career, uh, definitely, definitely kind of perks the ears up a little bit. Makes a a, a guy to watch this coming season.
1: He is from Waxahachie, Texas, which is known as uh the home of Meat Church. So if you uh he the guy who found Meat Church was on Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> barbecue day. fans yeah, out so there. barbecue yeah. fans out there. He's from the same town as Meat Church, and I. I love uh, all their products, and Matt Pittman does a great job on YouTube videos. So if you're if you're looking <laughs> to learn more about barbecue, I highly recommend uh, fellow Waxy Hatchie native uh, uh, Meat Church Matt Pittman. So that's a that's a, that's just a side note. Um, another another guy getting some buzz, Cody, and really kind of the, a similar conversation. Just as a pitcher, is uh, I'm starting to see some. You know, don't don't forget about Ty Madden now.
0: Don't don't mm-hmm. don't forget about Ty Madden mm-hmm. now
1: also a big 12 player, also a highly successful player. He was a back end first round pick, Madden was out of the University of Texas. And we haven't we haven't really talked that much about him, but that's another guy that I think might be kind of a sleeper for you know, you know, th- there might be something here with this guy and as pitchers and catchers reporting here in a couple days, like i i feel i feel the need to note this that, that might be one of the more intriguing guys to watch uh here this spring cody
2: yeah madden was among the guys who had a really important year last year in the farm he came out you know pretty highly touted out of the university of texas but the rap was always kind of eh, he's really got like one and a half pitches he had a lot of success in 2022 but i think the projections on him were still like okay he might struggle against higher level hitters maybe he looks like more of a reliever and i believe the tigers made some pretty significant tweaks to his arsenal he's become a lot more complete pitcher last season through 118 innings 3.43 era last year in double a he's coming to big league camp uh most likely to start the year in triple a but if madden can continue that progress that he had last year and be a three pitch guy suddenly yeah you you've got another um pretty good Pitching prospect on your hands right there. I don't think he, uh, he wasn't in any top 100 list, no, he was wasn't. he? Uh, but certainly a guy I think capable of being a top 100 prospect, um, even mid season if if he uh, build on what he did last year in the minor leagues.
1: Yeah, and he'll be a non roster invitee to spring training. As will Jackson Job, who we've kind of mentioned here or there. That's a guy whose hype is. Kind of finally matching, like, what, like, the reason he was drafted, if that makes sense. Like, he was drafted to be this, like, all right, we see some Josh Beckett upside here. We see some Verlander upside. And he probably is the toolsiest starting pitching prospect since Verlander. Oh, for sure. And, And a much criticized pick. A guy who was really slow rolled. A guy who had an injury last year, but after he came back from that back injury, he mowed people down, and quite possibly will be in the major leagues this year. So that I mean that I'm I'm excited for that. But in terms, yeah, that's down the line. In terms of spring training, I got I, I have a little concern about Jackson Joe, just a little bit. We Ooh. we have a history with the with this rebuild cody for detroit of you know some some great dude relationships you know you have yeah, have manning skuble you have torque and green you throw kryler in there you know we have to have there has to be the next wave there has to be like jove is the number one prospect on the team or number two depending on how you view max clark and all that stuff but in terms of like where he's at he's the number one prospect He's got to have a guy. Job needs a bro. <laughs> Jackson Job needs a bro. And I and and, and I'm gonna be texting you. It's like who's he hanging out with? You know who, who's he who's he bsing around with? I need to know who Jackson Job's bro is. I you you know this team, you know this system. Like, are, are there any good candidates so far?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I can't claim to know Jackson Job well, but know him a little bit. Seems like a likable guy. Out of the draft, I actually really impressed with his maturity, but. He's kind of got this rep as 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 a little more polished, preppy type. You know, he's from Oklahoma, but he's more the it's more the AJ Hinch Oklahoman, unless the Michael Fulmer Oklahoman, if that makes any sense at all. Um, if you
1: know Oklahoma, it makes a lot of know, sense. <laughs>
2: right, he went to Heritage Hall, which is kind of like an uppity school. You know, son of a pro golfer, played quarterback. You know, big big time baseball prospect. Um, had a little bit of the Bieber cut. So it's like, all right, I don't know if Job's hanging around with like the country boys as much. Maybe he is, but I don't know. Like, I don't see him and Peyton Graham having like as many of the same interests. No, he likes golf. A lot of these guys like golf. I'm sure you can make some buddies out on the golf course, but yeah, who does he most naturally fit in with? I don't know. All right. I'll go ahead and say something really weird. You want to hear something really weird? Yeah. We discussed this off air before, so it must've put the idea in my mind. I had a dream about Jackson Job, which sounds creepy, right? I had a dream I went hunting with Jackson Job. And I don't go hunting. Uh, I don't know if Jackson Job goes hunting or not. I have no idea. But I had a dream I went hunting. He was like, you know, everyone thinks I'm like preppy. I'm, look, I'm from Oklahoma. Like, I'm a, I'm a little more country than you think, I'm a little more like gritty than you think. So I don't know if that was some sort of premonition or what, but uh, you know, maybe maybe there are more sides to Jackson Joe. I'll let you know who he ends up hanging out with.
1: You know, we talk about players being ready for the season to start, managers and coaches being ready for seasons to start. If that's not an example of people who cover the team being ready for the season to start, I don't know.
2: I I don't. I should probably talk to my therapist <laughs> about that. It's it's kind of <laughs> concerning, honestly.
1: Yeah, you know, as far as far as dreams go, I mean, I, that's a cool one. Yeah, went hunting with the number nine prospect <laughs> or eight, whatever he was for Colley McDaniel. Uh, it'd,
2: be, it'd be a good story. Yeah, I mean, story. maybe
1: that's maybe that's the next big feature for you is like go hunting with Jackson Job. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure the Tigers PR wouldn't mind that at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of Job, I I do I do have just like one one little quick off though. Who who do you think? Is going to make their debut first, Job or and we, this section of the podcast is coming very Big Twelve centric, but no apologies there or Jace Young, because they're both guys that I won't I don't, like. I don't want to say like expect to make their debut, but look for it to be a thing if that makes sense. Who do you think could get get up first?
2: I think I think like the the safe bet is Young. Like, I think odds are pretty high that he debuts in the tail end of this year, but there's a world in which Job just shoots up and ends up being the first. So it's a, it's a really interesting question. The safe money is on Joe or it's on young, but like, you know, you want to take some good odds. Job's not a bad pick, but that does lead me to another point that I've been wanting to reference player development is not linear. Mm-hmm. It's what you will hear from all these baseball people because it's true. And I think especially this time of year, we get in this mode where we think all these prospects that we've just talked about are going to continue the trajectory they had last year. Ty Madden, he's going to, and it just doesn't work like that. Remember when Wilmer Flores was supposed to debut last year? We were, Wilmer Flores yeah. had a bad yeah. year. Okay. Not forgotten. And now, now we're not talking about him. Uh, Wilmore Flores might just come back and have a really good year this year. I don't know, but that's all to say that not all these guys are just going to continue on the rise. And that goes for young players in the big leagues, like Colt Keith, like Kerry Carpenter as well. Some of them are going to plateau. Some of them are going to take a step back. Some of them are going to take a step up. You don't always know who's going to do what. I think even the scouting directors and the minor league managers and the guys around them you don't know because this is a weird sport and you have young players. And and um, so that's just a reminder. Like, don't be stunned when not all these guys meet kind of that ceiling of expectations this year. Because that's just what happens.
1: Yeah, and if you look at win projections for the team overall and, you know, they're 77 or 75 or whatever, that's why. Like, you'd be like, how could they do this? Well, because, like, you can't, Statistically speaking, you can't necessarily anticipate every single person that you're relying on improving.
2: Exactly. The 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 data sometimes can be uh sobering and, and cold, and that's what that's what you see with this stuff. Um it's not always gonna be right. Projection systems were not big on the Orioles last year for this exact reason. And the Orioles, all these young kids continue to play out of their mind. And now they're yeah. you know, among the darlings of baseball. But the more likely scenario is uh, some of these guys plateau. Some of them don't hit. Some of them don't end up and don't make the big leagues this year. And you you, you don't make as pr- much progress as you thought. You know, I think there's a good chance the Tigers can win more than 78 games. But you look at some of these projections, and it's like, eh, you, you see how it comes to fruition. Like, I think Riley Green can be like a 4-5 or five win player. You look at the, you know, some of these projections, like, Fangraph Zips is like, oh, he'll be worth like 1.5 or it's like eh. when you, when you're around these guys, you want to get excited about them. And some of them are going to pop and probably not all of them are going to pop. So yeah,
1: you just never know. That's why they play the game. And I will say, speaking of Riley green, I like this as someone who wants Detroit to be kind of in the national conversation a little bit more MLB.com had him as one of their like, you know, quote unquote dark horses for MVP. Um, if he even got to that status, you would feel pretty good about the the, the Tigers' chances this year. Uh, all right. Why don't we kind of wrap up here, Cody? You did the fan survey, the annual fan survey this year, and I'll just go ahead and tell you how I answered all of them, and then you can Ooh, and then and right. then you can kind of fill in with what kind of the the fan consensus was. So I'll, I'll make this quick. You don't know, read it down. How would you rate Scott Harris as president of baseball operations? Excellent, or basically poor to excellent. And I said average because anything better than that, I feel like there's got to be more wins. But in terms of like, if you just were, if you just said like rank every, the average of every move, pretty much, I would probably say closer to very good. But I can't go that much higher for you know someone who hasn't produced a winning team. I know it's only his second year, but you see what I'm saying. And the and similar thought process for AJ Hinch. I did put very good because I think he hasn't had a full deck since he's had, you know, been at the helm of the Tigers, but you can't go excellent when you haven't had a winning season, right? So like, you know, it's you know, same thought processes. Chris Illich as team chairman and CEO I like the fact that he is investing in the team. I know payroll, everyone focuses on that, but I see all the other stuff. So I I said average, whereas I'm sure a lot of people are dissatisfied with everything that, uh, that has gone on under his tenure. But you can't say that this guy doesn't do anything for the team, right? And we've talked before about how his, like, reputation among baseball is not negative, right? Uh so like he, there's other stuff by people may not like him, but we're just strictly talking about the baseball thing and and I I I have no problem with him even though like, you know, I you would like to have better results under his tenure, right? Who's your tiger? That's an easy one, Riley Green for me. Uh one of the first I think it was like the first year you were on the beat. That was the year they drafted him, I believe first or second year. That's correct. And yep. We were talking at the time. It's like, you know, like once he's kind of got slotted to the Tigers, I started looking into him. I was like, I kind of really like this. I've been on Riley Green from the beginning. <laughs> um, and I'm a sucker for left-handed hitters. I'm a sucker for outfielders. So, and he plays hard. Like that will be, as long as he's on the team, that will probably be my Tiger. How would you grade the off season? I would grade the off season like my GPA in college. B minus. I know that wasn't an option. <laughs> uh, but like, so I said B obviously, but the solid stacking of baseball moves and all this stuff, I feel like that was everything in this off season. And you, you plugged the holes that you, that you needed to plug, even though some people had wanted something at their base or, you know, maybe something sexier, but they made a series of moves to improve the team. I do believe that. Are you confident?
2: They say C's get degrees, but let's not discount Kieran Stuckley going for the B minus baby. It's okay to overachieve just a little bit. Three point three. And keep in big mind, big. I watched this guy. I watched this guy not even turn in a final for one class and he got away with it. It was amazing.
1: With an A, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your boy knows how to work the system. Uh, how confident are you headed? Are are you that the Tigers are headed in the right direction? I said very confident. Like, like heading in the right direction is different than like guaranteeing results, in my opinion. So I'm very confident they're heading in the right direction the second part of the conversation I would have done like somewhat confident, but I do believe in AJ. Scott has proven himself to be shrewd. Um, The players are developing in the back end of the system. We're seeing this as well. So I, I said that. I love the Colt Keith extension because like what, who cares? Like it, 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 it seems like for the team, for the team, there, there seem to be like very little risk. So like I li- and I also like the Tigers being proactive and one of those proactive organizations under Scott Harris, right? I think that's a good thing overall. So I loved it because it's a low risk move. Confidence level in the starting rotation, somewhat confident. We talked about it earlier, a lot of, lot of unknowns, but you like at least the profile and the talent of the guys that are that are there. Confidence in the lineup. I said. Unsure. How could you not? You know what I mean? Like, the, you like the talent there, but the results have not been there. So, level of confidence in the bullpen, very confident. That's where AJ and Chris are just fi- firing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs constantly. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they work that system really good. Tigers prospect that excites you the most. I put Job because, like, he's the way that the what his potential could be is game-changing and and we've talked about before but i would would put him there i also do really like max clark Uh, i'm down for max clark as well how would you rate hiring jason benetti as tigers broadcaster loved it national you got a national guy doing your home broadcast come on easy answer there how would you rate the tv broadcast in 2023 I did watch, I watched them by listening to Dan. So I, I you know, <laughs> but I would probably say in terms of broadcast quality, it's average. Good stats, you know, good cameras, you know, all this stuff. Um, I'm not here to talk down about anybody that was doing particular jobs, but like, you know, the production value is fine. How would you rate the radio broadcast? Excellent. Dan's the goat. What radio voice do you most enjoy listening to along Dan Dickerson? I pretty much like all these guys are on the list. Avila, that's Alex, by the way. Dirks, Monroe, petrie Scales, but I went with Andy Dirks, and I think that's a generational thing, because I rem- obviously I remember him playing, and obviously I, I do Monroe as well, but Dirks was like, oh, Andy Dirks is doing it, and he was one of those kind of twi- twingy players I just really liked when he was on the team, and he just seems like a guy like, was there any difference listening to him on the radio than if you were just at a bar chatting with him about the game? I like that, yeah, you know, that, that for the radio I like that a lot uh petrie needs to be in a booth i think monroe is good at pretty much everything scales was awesome too but like my emotional attachment to dirk's kind of like made me pick him i hope he continues as much as possible how many games do you think they win i said 80 and 90 just because i think they could win the division and that's what you need right and when will they make the playoffs same concept 2024 do you think the tigers can win a world series in the next 10 years like, look, if you're a fan, you pretty much have to say yes to that question because, like, <laughs> I know it doesn't happen, but every organization should be capable of winning a World Series in 10 years, right? Like, this, it like doesn't happen, but they should be able to. And uh, describe your feelings on the state of the team. I said, stacking small baseball moves one at a time. Shout out, Scott Harris. So those are my answers for the survey. What was kind of the consensus?
2: Yeah, we will run these survey results on the athletic Monday for a more detailed look and breakdown. seems to me, Karen, that you are pretty well aligned with the majority of the fan base and a quick disclaimer. I, I got some feedback that, you know, I wish there were more options, something between very good and average. And I agree last year, I actually did like a, a one through 10 on all these questions for this reason. I tried to really pinpoint and Compiling that data was a mess, and it just looked bad, and and some other reasons. So, went back to just kind of the the five multiple choice. I'm gonna make y'all really choose. All right, so that's why it's like that. Yeah. Tried the one through this, ten thing. It, it didn't choose really work. Side. All right, so yeah, choose how you feel. Um, yeah, looking just scanning it, you know, I think uh more people are very good for Scott Harris so far. Um almost no one went with below average or poor, so reviews pretty good for Scott Harris. Uh AJ Hinge, very good. It's kind of the most common answer. Chris Illich, this one always is is funny because Chris gets so much flack and yet usually rates out as average when you do this poll, or maybe below average. Um, you know, there there's sixteen percent right now that rates him as poor. So like there's some dislike for Illich, but I actually think average is appropriate in the scope of sports owners. As I've said before, most owners are really bad as much as Illich maybe is not the most likable. At least he's not like the dudes who used to own the Orioles. You know, it could be, it could be worse, believe it in or not. Vision. Yeah. Uh, yeah. White Sox. Um, who's your tiger? You know, Riley Green's a very popular man. A lot of the young cores is popular. It's always funny to see what people write in. Someone wrote in everyone except Javier Baez. (laughs) Someone wrote Isak Paredes. Someone wrote Marcus Timms. Shout out that person. People are just, yeah. Someone said none. They're all trash. Someone said pause. Thanks for reading. It goes through the minds (laughs) of some of you people. (laughs) Uh, B was pretty, pretty uh, popular for the Tigers off season. There's some confidence, kind of lukewarm confidence in the right direction. Definitely uh, more positive than last year. People like the Colt Keith extension. I would say I loved it for the Tigers. I marginally disliked it for Colt Keith is where I would land on that one. Um, you're pretty in line with the confidence and the bullpen, the rotation, the lineup, Tigers prospect. Um, a lot of a lot of Colt Keith and a lot of Max Clark, Jackson Job. Getting a little more love, but but still the third most popular Tigers prospect. Everyone loves Jason Benetti. There were nine people who said they disliked it. Those nine people, what's wrong with Come you, on. man? Uh, <laughs> uh, TV broadcast about what you would think. The radio broadcast grades out so much better, and it, it does every year. We'll see if that changes this year with the addition of Jason Benetti. Um, interesting to get the feedback for the radio voice. I put this question because cause I don't know. I think they're all pretty good. If I had to pick one, I'd actually probably pick Bobby Scales. I think he just brings some next level insight. But Andy Dirk's very popular. He did a good job, has name recognition. Um all all seem to be pretty well liked. And then we had some write-ins there too. Shout out to whoever wrote uh Cody Stavenhagen. I appreciate you. <laughs> um all these people wrote I don't listen to the radio. It's like I, I literally made this non-mandatory uh, to answer, and you guys still wrote, I don't listen to the radio, so that's weird. Someone wrote silence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no one, or no, we got 14 people picked the Tigers to win 90 or more games. So even the most starry-eyed of fans, no one's really picking the Tigers to win 90 or more. That's I always find that funny. Um, and actually more, more people are expecting a 2025 playoff appearance than a 2024 playoff appearance. So interesting. And then we got the write-in answers. We're getting a little long-winded here. There are some good ones. I will post the best in the story. So if you're curious, uh, for both some funny responses and the general pulse of what fellow fans think about the Tigers, you can check that story out on the Athletic.
1: All right. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to a lot of spring training coverage. Uh, Anything else, Cody? Any, any, any sort of teaser of what you got, what you got planned, any sort of thing you're looking for the most? I know we touched a lot of them today, Uh, but you know, just any other thoughts as we officially go into spring training?
2: Nothing major, but I hope you will follow along on uh, both social media and the athletic. Uh, We'll have a story hopefully every day here for the next week. And this time next week, gosh, we're going to have so much to talk about on the podcast. All the who did what in the offseason and who's in great shape and who, who the coaching staff is hyping up and all. I mean, it, it, it'll be the typical spring training stuff, but it's always fun. It's a fun time of year for all the speculation. So we made it through another offseason. I know it's full spring here in Michigan. It'll probably be cold again, but warm weather, sunshine, it's on the horizon. Uh, congrats to everyone for sticking it out and um, opening day not all that far away.
1: No, basically six weeks, like it's you know right around the corner. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to reading all your coverage on the Athletic. If you are a subscriber, you can read all of Cody and his amazing colleagues' uh, work there. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. Five star review if you feel so inclined. Following on Twitter at Cody Stabenhagen. I'm at kieran underscore steckley our pod pages at turn corner pod so from cody Stavenhagen, i am kieran steckley everybody have a great spring training opening week